Coming up on episode 98 of Appetite for Distortion, our long-awaited conversation with former Guns N' Roses manager Doug Goldstein. We're going to have some fun with him, talk about Axel on Looney Tunes. We're going to get serious. We're going to talk about addiction and what he's doing now to help fight that. And also, he's going to answer your questions. Yours. So welcome to the podcast. Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 98. It is Brando. Although, I maybe I should call the show, uh, it was suggested by a fan... Appetite for emotion. <laughs> he kind of he said Brando's emo sometimes in a good way, and and you know what though, Doug Goldstein. Um, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I don't know if you would know this because you're slightly older. There was something called Live Journal back when I was in high school and college. It was like an before all the social media stuff. It was just a, basically a place yeah. to to write a diary, an online diary to your friends. And my avatar was Axel, uh, that scene from November Rain with the rain coming down. I'm, Axel oh, was yeah. Axel was emo. I was into Axel's sensitive yeah, side, right. so that's right. Yeah, yeah. But maybe this will be this might lean more this episode uh, towards some emotion, so maybe it might be appropriate. But anyway, uh, it's it's Brando episode ninety eight. Thank you so much to everyone joining us. Whether you found us on iHeartRadio, uh, which it looks like big news may be happening in the coming months uh, concerning iHeartRadio, uh, Spreaker, Stitcher. YouTube, our friends at AlternativeNation.net, and just wherever you found us on Facebook and in and, and Twitter. I had somebody reach out to me literally this morning that grew up in one of the towns I used to live in in Long Island who just found us. So uh, founding, finding us an episode in the 90s is great, and then you can go back and, and see all the past interviews. And, uh, and I mentioned his name just briefly. It feels like, how have we not done an episode together, Doug? Doug Goldstein, of course. <laughs> I know, Brandon. I'm not sure, man. We talk on the phone all the time. It's really cool. Of course, uh, former Guns N' Roses manager Doug Goldstein, and I mean, that's just part of your your resume. Somebody reminded me, you know, as I was asking some fan questions or receiving some fan questions for you later on, which are gracious enough to to answer, uh, someone's like, well, he also used to be manager for Blind Melon. And of course, the Shannon Hoon connection uh, with with GNR. But we get to talk about what what you're doing now. Um, and, and of course, answer some fan questions. And, and knowing GNR fans, you know they're they're not going to be light ones. So uh, we'll, we'll yeah, get to, absolutely. Yeah, we'll get to those later on. But since um, you know, you're 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 not just my guest for today. I mean, you're also my friend. So you're going to be a part of Shotgun News. News. Hey. <laughs> Maybe I should add that hey in there from Doug. <laughs> hey. So um, I asked you off the air because I I, was, I just didn't want to surprise you. You you Axel made a comeback, his first new song in ten years, and it was on Looney Tunes. Yeah. Did did that surprise you at all? No, you know what? He's always 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 loved kids. I mean, the, his famous Halloween parties that he used to do. I don't know whether he's doing them anymore, but um, you know, I mean, it, it, it didn't surprise me at all. It's um, 
I, I, I loved it. I mean, I loved that if he was going to do anything, it was great format to come back in, you know? I mean, um, I don't know that I would do a GNR song that way, but for an actual deal, yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, I thought it was really cool. I love it because uh, I'm a cartoon guy. You know, I, I usually too, make, yeah. you know, it, Simpson references or SpongeBob or whatever. But I've, I've I mean, I'm sure like you, because Looney Tunes itself, the um, the brand has been around for just decades upon well, decades. Yeah, but this, that's different. It was, it's, it's the brand that Axel and I's kind of age group grew up with. Right. I mean, we didn't have SpongeBob. You know, we didn't right. have Rick and Morty. Right. <laughs> yeah. Rick and Morty. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so we had the foghorn leghorn and bugs and you know like that. So I thought it was I thought it was really cool. I thought it was great. So and it was the uh, the new Looney Tunes, which is on Boomerang, because I know a lot of people were asking about where it was from. Because I've actually watched the new Looney Tunes, like I watched the new Nature Turtles. Uh, but for right. the for the people who missed it, it was cool. I think a, a fan really spread this going viral. Someone who's watching with their kids, unlike me who watches cartoons alone. Uh, and <laughs> and took a cell phone video of it. So the first clip is just, um, it, it's obviously Axel's voice. Before uh, Boomerang came out and said, yes, it's Axel, you know, of course, the way GNR fans are, they have to, to, to uh, dissect it. So uh, yeah, yeah. Th- this is uh, just a clip of Axel talking to uh, Bugs Bunny and company. Any of you guys know where the Civic Center's at? Because we're doing a rock concert tonight. Axel Rose? By the way, I love the fact that Bugs is like, I know Axel Rose. Yeah. Right. Axel Rose? <laughs> yeah. Because right. so, I'm wearing his underwear. I thought he was the believe that we can see Guns N' Roses. I am. But my real passion is steel underpants. Sorry, Axel, but there's not going to be a concert tonight. Yeah, there is. I wrote it on my hand. See? <laughs> No, there's no concert tonight because an asteroid is about to blow up the Earth! That's a bummer, man, because I bought new speakers, too. Boy, those speakers look like they can do some damage. They'll blow your house down, little piggy. In fact, when those speakers are turned up full volume, my band can shake mountains to the ground. Hmm, are you guys thinking what I'm thinking? That I should go back to wearing a mesh jersey and a kilt on stage again? No. How brilliant is that line? It's like he knows people are upset with what he's wearing. So it's so funny. It it continues. And uh, just so, you know, the the trolls out there know and and Doug, because this is our our second podcast together because we we were both on GNR Central um, together. uh, The whole copyright thing. So it's okay (laughs) if I play 11 seconds of rock on rock. Rock the Rock. There you go. And um, That's it. I don't know if it's an Axel song. It has the ACDC vibe. Porky Pig is doing uh, the Angus yeah. Young thing going on. Yeah, right. Uh, but yeah. whatever it was, it's it was pretty badass. It was it was well-received you know by I mean? the fans. The thing that I loved about it, Brando, is I know a personal side of Axel that a lot of people don't, and that is he's, he's hilarious. Mm. He's a really funny guy. I mean— you know, they only see kind of the the guy who comes out on stage, and he's smiling now, which I think is great. It looks like he's having a blast uh, touring with the guys. Um, but it usually, it was all about angst, and they didn't realize that he's hilarious. So, uh, so, so I like that he's showing kind of that humorous side of him. You know, I like it too. I mean, that's why I enjoy when he tweets, even in the. You know, the, uh, the very political tweets, there's some sort of humor to it, whether it's just his use of emojis. But 
Yeah, that's yeah. something. That's why, you know, going back to before, I like the emo side of Axel. I like the humorous side. I like the angry side because that's how mm-hmm. I feel like those things yeah. describe me. So that's what gravitated uh, me towards the band yeah. initially. Right. Uh, yeah. Second part of Shotgun News, maybe I'll just in, uh, interview the entire McKagan clan. We'll see what happens. I interviewed uh, Matthew McKagan a few episodes ago, a uh, music teacher out in California. Now his brother, Bruce McKagan, I'll uh, get to a potential interview in a second. Uh, but he's doing a charity event, and i got to uh, say thanks to Dallas Dwight. He's a listener of the AFD show, and he's a band called the L.A. Maybe. And there's a show uh, happening if you're in South Carolina and, South Carolina, and you uh, want to make the trip. It's expensive, but I'll tell you what it's all about. It's all for a good cause. Uh, rock and Roll Evening with the Stars, uh, Thursday, January 24th. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime event that brings legendary rock band members to York's History uh, McKelvey Center, I believe, in South Carolina. And it's uh, a Renew Our Community, a nonprofit that services the homeless homeless and uh, impoverished of York County, South Carolina. Uh, So just great that they're giving back to their community. So it's going to feature Duff McKagan, uh, Tommy DiCarlo of Boston, uh, Parthenon Huxley. I know he's. I, I like ELO, but I, I'm not familiar because that's a name I should remember. Parthenon Huxley, right. uh, Gary yeah, right, yeah. Gary Green from Hootie and the Blowfish, who are touring this year, <laughs> and then uh, special guests including uh, Dallas's band, uh, the LA Maybe. So um, I suggested to Dallas, I'm like, hey, you know what? Would you want to co-host the show just like other fans have done, and we can interview Bruce together, talk about this event, maybe get some uh, some cool Duff stories out of it, and Bruce seems down. So look forward to uh, cool. look forward to that uh, in the in the future. So okay, yeah, I've met all the McKagans, or certainly uh, there's there's a whole slew of them, and they are the the best family. I mean, people would always ask me, "What's Duff like?" He's like anybody you went to high school with, and and his family just fantastic family. I knew the mother, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful lady. Um, so uh, nice to see Bruce and Matt uh, get involved, and Duff obviously. Just really good people. Can't say enough about the McKagans. Yeah, and obviously I appreciate just the the, the time that eventually Bruce will give me and you know learn more about the uh, the charity. And we got some cool stories from Matt. So you just really don't know what it's like growing up with someone like silly stories of just kids being kids. You know, before they yeah. were, were were rock stars. But this is a nice uh, segue to to you and I, uh, Doug, mm-hmm. and because you were on you were on Facebook. You're still on Twitter. And yeah. I hope many fans hope you do return because uh, you've well, tell us what you're what you're doing now. And, you know, other than sharing animal videos on Facebook, it was like the big thing that you, <laughs> you were talking about. Yeah. No, you know what? It's uh, the Facebook thing. I just shut it down because there's, as I call them, Keller's Band keyboards. And, and I'm so focused on what I'm doing currently. And thanks for the, for the segue. Um, been hired by a guy, Larry Wiedekind, whose son, uh, Matthew, passed away. Uh, over three years ago from a heroin overdose. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm running a nonprofit aimed at the opioid epidemic uh, across America. Uh, 72,000 people, uh, the Center for Disease Control numbers, 72,000 people died in uh, 2017 alone, um, making it uh, the biggest killer in America, more than guns and car accidents combined in the same time period. Mm. Uh, more Americans were lost just in 2017 than the total of Americans lost in Vietnam. Um, it's bigger than the AIDS crisis, yet hardly anybody's talking about it. Um, so I've been in Ohio, uh, and I w- will be in West Virginia. Those are the two biggest areas per capita of deaths. Um, 
uh, based in Houston. And so I, I drive a lot <laughs> and uh, I'm flying because uh, I like talking on the phone. And so that's when you and I always talk, Brando, yep. like whenever I'm driving from city to city, right? Yeah. Yep. But, uh, but I mean, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great nonprofit and we're raising money to put people who can't afford treatment into treatment. Uh, we're also taking a look at this from a different perspective, not using kind of the AA model, but more of a long-term model. Um, to let the body's natural endorphin process kick back in, uh, which unlike other drugs, it's been artificially synthesized. And what I'd normally like to say is you and I, we look at a sunset, sunrise, something like that, Brando, and and we go, hey, how cool. And and because that that drug has been artificially synthesizing that process, they're unable to feel that or emote. So it takes the body a while to get back in. Hmm. So that's basically what I'm doing now. Love what I do. Uh, it's a tough job. I mean, you get the phone calls from parents who you didn't reach them in time um, or, you know, girlfriends, boyfriends. Um, and uh, and so that part's tough. But, you know, the, the Facebook thing, again, um, you get attacked by people for your viewpoint. And I just don't have time for it, quite honestly. I'm trying to stay really positive and, and focused and and it's a tireless job. I mean, I'm working 20 hours a day, seven days a week. And so um, focusing like that. But I did, and I, I, I talked to our friends, uh, Jeff and Sid. Um, the, the part about it that I don't like about not being on Facebook is I, I like talking to the fans because the fans, I believe, without fans, you don't have a band. And so, um, you know, and, and that's why I will always continue to come on whenever you want me to, Brando, or if Jeff and Sid or want me back on or and I certainly told them that because I want to be available to the fans um, and who knows maybe I'll work on uh, some literature to put out there mm. <laughs> maybe I'll finally get my side of the story out who knows Brenda yeah well I, I have no doubt uh, fans will be chomping at the bit if you were ever to to write a book and uh, you know you mentioned and I was surprised I mean they, they did a good job I think they were doing it they've been doing it longer than I have uh, GNR Central not doing podcasts mm-hmm. anymore but they're still doing you know true stories and, and just, they, they, their YouTube channel is still really good as far as getting information yeah. uh, but yeah. as far as podcasts and, and chatting you know uh, if, if right now it's me if it's just me that's cool so I appreciate it because I know you've you've been on their show a lot and I'm like I'm going to tire everybody out of Doug Goldstein, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Couple of, actually, I've done two with them. Yeah. Not a lot, but just, yeah, just two. Maybe but, it um, seems like more because we all talk off the air. Maybe it seems like more. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and because I was in Ohio, I spent a lot of time with Jeff, right? I mean, yeah. for, for, it's, you know, I mean, personal time. Him and I would go out and I'd watch him drink beer. And, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, I, I, I digress. Well, that's interesting. You said uh, that's actually you said something that's a good uh, transition point. You watched him gr- drink beer, so you don't drink now. No. Huh? How nope. um, how long has that been? You no, know, I mean, it, well, interestingly enough, you know, and, and you know this, Brenda, but I started in the industry as a bodyguard. So, as a bodyguard, you can't um, imbibe or or do any drugs um, because you're paid to to not, and so. Um, I didn't drink until I came off the road, uh, 34 years old, but I made up for it back then. <laughs> so, and, uh, and I just, you know, it's inconsistent with being a COO of a nonprofit, uh, doing what I'm doing. So I just decided I made the decision to just not anymore and, uh, don't miss it. You know, um, is it one of those things like for me, you know, and I've mentioned on the show when I was, you know, it was cool to talk to, uh, the head from corn about it. Cause his documentary came about. 
uh, how it affects family members and everything he went through. But I, uh, I think it's been three years, just over three years since I stopped drinking. Um, oh, congrats. But there okay. are, thank you, but there are people, you know, I still have, you know, I still need therapy and other things. So I still have issues I got to work through. But there are people who, who can just, because I, I can't, I always, I, moderation is my problem, you know. Um, yeah. But I don't know. And that's, of course, is all going to uh, relate to Guns N' Roses. Uh, yeah. so, but you can't just go out and have like just a couple Heineken's or in, or is it just like, no. you know, I don't even need it. I'd rather have a strawberry daiquiri or something. Yeah. Well, not, not unless they're in kegs. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. No, I mean, it's a, I'm an all or nothing guy, and that's with work. I mess with anything. Okay. Um, and I respect I, and I know that. that about myself. So, yeah, I just choose not to. Okay. This is all. I'm going to play uh, one more clip from you. This is from our last episode with uh, with Gary Sunshine, which thank you to everybody. What what a overwhelming reaction. I, I just think he's a nice guy. I wanted to talk to him, but he literally played in one Guns N' Roses song, did only part of it. And just everybody, his story was enthralling. The feedback was great. Uh, and of course, Art Devana, who, who's been on frequently. Yeah, we uh, love Art. <laughs> yeah, we'll get, to, um, he, we'll get to one of his questions for you later on. <laughs> he might have the best question of them all. Yeah. Uh, but he said something that really struck me last episode. And uh, obviously, this pertains to what we're talking about. This is important to note. He's the only person who is 100% sober and 100% coherent during the entire Use Your Illusion era, mm. which is, mm. <laughs> you know, the most, uh, probably the most debaucherous era of this band. And, you know, everyone else was fucked up in their own way. Like, Axel was not as fucked up as everybody else, but he was, he was partying. He was dealing with a lot of demons. He was fucked up in a lot of different ways, but Goldstein was the one guy who was sober and clean. And that's true, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Wow, I didn't know that. That's awesome. I, sh- I didn't hear that. Yeah, that was listening. that was last episode, and he said because that's what you say, and yeah. you know, there's yeah. that's so I guess I, I like the way he, that he phrased it though, that it's it yeah. uh, how important that is to to to, to know and. You know, when people, when these rock stars come out with autobiographies, it's like, how do they remember all this shit? That's why I love it, and I hope it's still going to happen. <laughs> Steven Adler's going to write another book about the, sh- the stuff that he doesn't remember. That was, mm-hmm. a, that was a story at one point, which would be mm. insane to me. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's, why, that's why, I mean, I've been prodded by a number of people to write the book forever. Because, you know, even, even past managers were far from sober. And so the recollection that I have is from a different perspective. Mainly, I remember everything. <laughs> and so, and so um, you know, so, I mean, I, look, no offense to the guys because I love Slash and Duff, always have, always will. But when I read their books, I just go, how do you know what happened to that? You don't. I mean, because I know what condition you were in. <laughs> so um now now if they wrote books about what they're doing currently okay sure i mean there's some validity there but and i think you know and that's why brando i've talked about writing a book because you know in in all honesty i think that the truth uh, should be out there um and it's not about and look (laughs) i will probably give away uh, most if not all of any proceeds that i made towards homelessness addiction so it's not like I have a, a financial motivation to do it. I don't mm. care about things anymore. Not not at my age. You know, I care about things uh, that are important in life, 
giving to people that don't have some of the luxuries that I've been afforded in life. So, you know, so, so you can take that off the table, I guess is what I'm saying, because, you know, people that have written books, people go, oh, yeah, it's for the money. Well, you know what? I'll put it in writing. I'll give my money away. I don't care. Where does that come from, from, from you? Because uh, it's one thing just uh, to, to not drink and do drugs if you're being a bodyguard and that's, you know, you, you live your life, you know, on and off the field, so to speak. Is that something when you were younger, did you have? Yeah. Was it, did it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's growing up in 500 square feet with five people and your father and mother worked hard. And, and so, you know, I was really blessed to be put in a position with the guys and had, don't get me wrong, I had a bunch of wonderful things. Um, but uh, it didn't derive happiness, right? Like, like David Ross said when I threw it with him, uh, money doesn't buy happiness. It sure can't bring a lot of smiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in my case, it, it, it brought a lot of negativity as well. Um, people that you thought were friends ended up not being. Um, and, it, you know, there were, there were – when you come from no money, you have friends with no money, and you feel guilty that you have, and so you share it. Um, and so I just, I'm, I'm kind of over that aspect and I've, I've just become more, and I guess it's traveling the world. You know, you go to Rio and you see people living in cardboard boxes when you're traveling in the back of a Mercedes limousine and you just go, hang on a, hang on a second, what's wrong with this picture, right? So I've become just more socially aware um, in my, in my uh, later years, but I think I've always been that way. You know, as, right. a, as a kid, as a kid, um, you know, our, our elementary school was the one of seven in the area that we worked with special needs. Okay. And I spent every single day after school for two and a half hours working with the special needs kids oh, from no. first grade all the way till middle school. That's, so, that's, that's something else to, to do that, to recognize that at such a young age. And it's hard not to be caught up in everything. You know, you can still have your, your attitude towards, you know, like uh, of keeping straight for the sake of everybody else. But, you know, how many stories, I mean, at least what the the movies portray, like the manager always gets sucked into it, you know, wanting to be the rock star. And it just seems like, it's, it's funny because every picture that uh, uh, that's online of you back in those days, you always have this yes. stoic look, your hands, you know, you're always looking out. Oh, yeah. Like you're never, and everyone else around you is all messed, but you can always see you're focused. It's very funny. I was intensely focused, uh, particularly during shows. I mean, it comes from a bodyguard. You know, I still can't sit with my back to an open space at a restaurant. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I have to be able to see the room, and it's kind of like I understand that soldiers do when they come back from, you know, with part of their PTSD. Um, but you, know, you brought up a point, and, and most of them on, on the past manager, my ex-partner, Nevin, because, uh, you know, him and I maybe don't see eye to eye on certain things, but he believed that, and we had this discussion tons of times, Slash would tell me, you know, could you please have a conversation with him? I don't want him partying. And I would tell Alan that, and he would say, you know, Dougie, you have to be like that. And I said, no, he doesn't want you. (laughs) I'm telling you, this is straight from the horse's mouth. Mm. And so, you know, it was kind of the Peter Grant mentality. Peter Grant partied with the Led Zeppelin guys. Right. And I knew from talking to Slash that he didn't respect the fact that Alan did that. And I tried to get that across to Alan, and he chose not to hear that. And, you know, but but again, there's no slam on Alan. It's just a difference in opinion. Yeah, um, I don't say one's right or wrong. It was just for me personally, it, it worked better for me to 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 not. It could be like parents, you know, like you have one parent that lets you get yeah. away with stuff, and one's a disciplinarian. 
in yeah. a way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once again, Antler. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. this is a good way to. Well, actually, before I get to, you know, because uh, I, I maybe want to sprinkle in some some fan questions when they come up, but sure. uh, this 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 thought just came to me because uh, it was another question actually about how you and maybe you could be addressed it on GNR Central. That's why I wasn't going to ask, but how you became a manager, how you became a manager. But I'm just thinking about how you took your bodyguard position, you know, to 110 percent. Is that something like you saw like a manager position is kind of like the next level up? To kind no, of, no, ne- never to protect. Never, uh, uh, no, you know what? No, I mean, I never thought that I would be a manager. I always thought I was going to be a tour manager, and and so um, I mean, I didn't think that, but I got a call from two business managers, and they said, "Your last name's Goldstein. You need <laughs> you need to get out of security. There's no there's no Jewish bodyguards, right? So <laughs> what about what about being a tour manager? And so when I started with GNR, I, that's what I was. And within two months, um, Alan made, and, and this is where like people go, okay, Alan was a manager from 87 to 91, and then you took over. Well, no, that wasn't the case. I was made a partner in Stravinsky Brothers, Alan's company, in 88, um, because I was offered a job by John Bon Jovi um, to be his year-round live-in uh, road manager. Hmm. And so um, Alan, I, I believe that Alan saw that, he didn't like Axel. Axel didn't like him uh, right from the start. And I believe uh, that Alan probably saw the one, one way to hold on to the band was to make me his partner. And so I was a 50-50 partner in Stravinsky Brothers. And, and again, <clears throat> Alan didn't have to do that. He could have said, hey, you're my 25% partner. He was really good to me, which is why I don't like the whole, you know, he says, she says that goes back and forth between Alan and I. We had our roles. He did a really good job working the record company, but he didn't know anything about the road. And that's where my forte was. So I was cutting all the, the deals with the agents and the sound and light deals and, and you know, hiring the staff. And so, I mean, we were a great team. Was it over, over uh, it had to have been overwhelming at, at par, uh, times for you because it, you didn't expect to be, to do that, right? Or is it not something you ever really aspired to do? You, you became good at it, but was it like, Whoa, I'm I'm really over my head here. Do you ever feel like never. that? No, never did. It. No, no. Cool. I mean, you know, I, I was always brighter than the average bear. Hmm. Um, you know, I was always in accelerated programs as a kid, and I never really. The, the one thing that my parents instilled in me: you can be anything you want to be, right? And so I never felt overwhelmed, and it helped that we kind of grew up together, all of us. True. You know, Alan started when I met him. He was in a studio with his wife and kid, and. You know, and, and he was kind enough to, to have put me into a condominium once he moved up on the, the big hill. And, and, and the band, conversely, I mean, they, they were doing the same thing. We kind of, it was like the Parker family. Hmm. And so it wasn't like we didn't go overnight success like some people think we did. You no, know, it was no. kind of a, and the one thing that I've always said, uh, one of my credos in life, uh, the day I stop learning and laughing is the day I die. That's true. So I'm a constant question asker, and, and one of the people who always helped me in, in a profession is Peter Mensch of Q-Prime. Peter was always there uh, anytime I needed uh, a professional recommendation or question or whatever. I could pick up the phone, and Peter Mensch was always there. And he has this, this um, uh, kind of reputation in the industry as being real stoic and, and hard to approach, and he was just the opposite with me. And there was no ulterior motive with Peter. 
He just liked me and, and, was, and was willing to help. So a, a, a great debt of gratitude to Peter Manch, uh, who manages obviously Metallica and, and uh, Chili Peppers along with Cliff Bernstein and Black Keys and you know, a bunch of other people. Right on. And I'll give the, uh, the manager question um, credit to our, our, both of our friend, uh, Miss Metal. She was, uh, yeah. she, she asked that on Twitter and something that you, you said, and I don't want to, uh, for it to be lost in it. <laughs> uh, I might get to more of uh, Garrett Smith's questions from Texas, but he goes, uh, here's the, I'm Jewish segue for the episode. Uh, <laughs> is he Christian or uh, Masonic Jew? Yeah. yeah. I'm not even pronouncing yeah, I mean, that right. He's like, I heard Jewish before, but, uh, but probably because, uh, someone assumed it from his last name. I noticed he posted true. something about being Christian recently. Not something you expect to hear from someone who went through the use your illusion tour. You know, and that leads into another question that I know, uh, was asked, um, you know, about Axel's spirituality and faith. I mean, yeah. I grew up with, I grew up, I mean, look, I, I would go to synagogue, but I would also go with my mother. So traditionally I'm not, I mean, historically I'm not Jewish because my mother was Mulaney. Okay. So I catechism. And then we went to a non-denominational church, a Christian church. And so I have my Christian faith. Um, I, I have my lineage in Judaism. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, aren't we all worshiping the same God? I hope. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's the, that's the long answer to a short question. Okay. No, it's just I mean, obviously, the Jew joke being funny, like Jewish bodyguard. That's just yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I'm usually used as like the defense stick, like as my my own my, my yeah. body. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. to go back to before, because obviously the, the the subject it's important to me, you know, uh, with sobriety and addiction and something we've talked sure. about uh, th- uh, on this show on appetite for emotion or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Jeff Fisherman asks and. B, answer this however you want, if you can. Yeah. Uh, ask him how the band would travel with drugs, because you see this a lot now with bands, uh, how they would get away with it. They smuggle them on the road. I met Slash in 1997 at Mama Kin, uh, Aerosmith Old Rock Club in Boston. I gave him $20 to use as a Coke straw. The guy was a total mess. He went to the bathroom, and he and uh, Teddy Zigzag uh, walked the door and didn't let anyone in when he snorted. He was drinking Jack mixed with fruit punch. So it's Jeff Fisherman. Hey, hey at least he went to fruit punch. <laughs> <laughs> He's cutting it with something. How about that? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a good question. It's a good question. To be honest with you, um, most of, not most, a lot of what my job was, was trying to keep the dealers and fans away. Right. We use that as a way to get close. Hey, here's some blow. Here's some joke, whatever. What can I do for you? Right. So, um, yeah. some of them had some rough landings outside of hotels. The, the the fans and or dealers would show up, and then other members of the band. I'd give them the room key, and they'd be gone. Um, you know, and they, I would see them at soundcheck, and I knew where they were going. Uh, as far as as carrying it around, I don't. I didn't see that, um, and I I think that they wouldn't do that knowing the laws of taking stuff around with them. Not, I mean, not, not the harder stuff. Usually they didn't have to. You know, it's kind of funny, uh, Slashing is in his book to Dougie me, um, put us in, in uh, a golf resort so that, uh, so that he could play golf. Well, one, I'm teeing off at 5.30 in the morning when they're just going to bed. <laughs> right. And two, that's, that's not the truth. The, the, I mean, I'd be done in two and a half hours. The reason I booked him is good luck scoring heroin on the 15th hole of a, of a private resort. And so that's why after touring on Appetite, I knew that we shouldn't be staying in downtown areas. 
And so that's why I was booking the golf resorts. I mean, because they're way out of town. And, you know, and they'd have to say, back then there was no Uber, right? <laughs> so, that's very true. Yeah, so I was hoping to preclude them from going to certain areas that they'd get into trouble. Okay. that's a. I mean, as a manager who's protecting them, not just for their financial interests, but for their well-being, you have to make strategic moves like that. Sure. You know, especially if you're, yeah. you're telling the other manager, you know, uh, Alan, not to participate you know i like to think um that's how i am too with my my younger brothers obviously very different from being guns and roses to just being one or four brothers regular uh no nobody people but it's like it's hard for me to be a hypocrite you know i i for me sure, the, yeah. the times where i'm i was smoking a ton of weed and tell my brothers eh, i don't want you smoking weed i can't do that you know so I, right exactly exactly well and that, yeah that was a part of it too it's like how can i tell these guys not to to do blow or junk when you're doing blow and ecstasy with them, right? And that was a part of my great frustration. I can't even imagine. So you know what, then, uh, how do you feel? And we'll get to our friend Art Devana's question just for, for shits. <laughs> yeah, uh, should John Jones be banned for the sport of MMA for being a steroid-abusing thug? <laughs> you'd have to you'd have to ban half of the USC. <laughs> so that's the short that's the short answer to Mr. Devana's question. Is it true he told me you you challenged Tito Ortiz to a fight? No, no, it wasn't Tito Ortiz. It was BJ Penn, and it was more than a challenge. I didn't challenge him. He challenged me, and it didn't really go his way. Oh, okay. So. I like Art's story better, but that's still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, BJ. I I really liked BJ a lot, and he just somebody had told him that I could fight, and so he just thought he would try that out, and so didn't go too well. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, we can also give credit to the because uh, you mentioned before that you you saw it on Twitter. Uh, Sean Adams asked about uh, does Axel still have a faith in spirituality? But I'm like you. I feel like we're all kind of praying to something, something that we don't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, I always have known Axel to be, I don't look, I'm not in his room, I don't see him getting down on his knees praying to whomever, but he's a good guy with good morals. Um, he doesn't harm people intentionally, ever. He always has people's best interests at heart. Um, and, and to me, that's somebody who's spiritual. You know, I mean, that kind of defines you know, the golden rule stuff. You want to be treated like you treat others. And I've always, I've always experienced as to be a really God fearing person, at least in terms of how I would, um, you know, kind of frame a God fearing person. That's fair. He never denounced the existence of a creator with me, put it that way. I mean, but you know, yeah, I, I find it interesting, and I, I love Alan Niven. He I mean, he's come on twice. He's been very nice. I mean, he's quirky, but yeah. so, but so am I. But he's he feels yeah. weird that uh, Axel's singing ACDC songs because it's it's not like the devil for me. It's it's like a cartoon devil. It's not like Demu Borgir or Cradle of Filth. It's yeah. not like you're worshiping yeah. anybody. But um, no, he seems to have uh, yeah. good morals. There's a bit. Of, there's a bit. Of, there's a bit of. Uh, Maybe Alan has found God, and that's great. Uh, I hope so. But there was a time where he was not that. And, uh, you know, he had this fascination with going to New Orleans and black magic. And, and you know, and I don't know. I mean, I hope that, uh, hope that for Alan's sake he uh, has changed that. Um, but it's, it's slightly hypocritical to me. 
Um, although, you know, that being said, it's kind of funny. I'm just, for me personally, I don't, I don't live anybody else's life. I live Doug Golson's life. I have too much difficulty with that, right? I get it. But for me, I could never listen to Blois or Cult. I'm burning, I'm burning for you. I just, I, 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 don't, I can't do it, right? Never have been able to since high school. Interesting. That, that would come on KGB FM in San Diego. I would turn it I just, or turn it off. I just couldn't do it. Hmm. Not with the way I was raised, right? So. All right, fair enough. Giving so, the devil is due. I'm, I'm, <laughs> whether, <laughs> You know, but I, but but again, so yeah, but I would listen to Way to Hell, right? So I don't know. I mean, but unlike you, I guess when it comes to that, I guess is what I'm saying, Brando. It's um, it's uh, I never looked at ACDC. I never took that serious, right? Certainly not as serious as as Jimmy Page and the Alistair Crowley connection or whatever. Right? Oh, it was like I think it was real. The black magic and, and dark magic and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, which is what Niven was into, and like I said, I I pray and I hope that he's not anymore. But no, he says you know. uh, he, what he says. It's he's of the light. He's of the light. That's where. And I think that's fantastic. And yeah. like I said, I hope and I pray that that's the truth. All I'm saying is that it's slightly hypocritical that um, that he doesn't at least acknowledge that he had or possessed that site. Maybe I'll ask him. I, I, I think uh, at least Mitch LaFon says he's going to try to get uh, Alan on the show again, so we might have another Mitch, right. you know, a hockey conversation before we talk about the yeah, devil right. and all that stuff. <laughs> That's right. I, I know you're comp- New Jersey Devils. Yes. <laughs> there you go. You know, I may ask that. Would you ever wear a uh, New Jersey Devils uh, jersey? Exactly. I'm going to say you— probably say only in New Orleans. <laughs> I'm going to ask him. That's funny. Uh, yeah. So obviously that relationship was complicated. Another relationship that was complicated. Uh, Miss the Sh- Sunshine asked on Twitter, "What's the key for understanding the relationship between Izzy and Axel?" In your opinion, of course. Yeah, boy, that's a tough one. I I think there are so many years of just being misunderstood. Um, I think that they both love each other, having grown up in the same small town. But it's become complicated, and I think it, it, through the years it always was complicated. Um, you know, I, I think that they've hurt each other's feelings through the past, um, and I would love for those guys to at some point be able to sit down with one another and just go, okay, grievance is on my side, grievance is on your side, let's put them in a big chest, uh, you know, wrap some uh, steel uh, around that chest and collectively throw it into the ocean and start again. See, where where are we today? Mm. I need to be very healing. It, this not perfectly segues into another question. This is from uh, Michaela. Uh, she said, when I asked Mark Cantor uh, what would happen if the original five, of course, well, she used to say uh, the Appetite Five, because we've had Rob Carter yeah. on the show, uh, Axel Slash Duff, Izzy and Steven, were able to, or ever able to be in a room all together again after 28 years and counting. He said, I think they would hug each other and cry. So she asks you, do you agree? And if not, what do you think would happen? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, um, yeah, I think it's way too much water under the bridge. Um, too many hurt feelings. I think, you know, uh, Tim Collins did a great job with the Aerosmith guys about bringing in therapists and, okay, doing just basically what I talked about, air your grievances. I think it would take more than just put the five in a room and with no other professional help, 
Hmm. Kind of, I think what Steven's saying is kind of that, right? <laughs> I, I don't see it going down as Michaela said. And I love Michaela; she's a great gal, but I don't see it as being that simple. Yeah, that's a very, uh, you know, even me, I feel like uh, I would want that because that's well, so romanticized. That's like fairy tale. They all hug each other. They release Appetite for Destruction <laughs> too. They take over the world. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, but. Well, we'll see if that happens in what one way, shape, or form. If they do a uh, the Metallica go a route and hire a therapist and do a movie that just yeah. makes everything awkward. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, no, I think it's kind of altruistic in its in its framework. I I, I just I don't see it going down that way. <laughs> but and like I said, I love Michaela and I love that she thinks it will go down that way. I just I I know too much has transpired. I think to to lack you know. Fair enough. Somebody else in the room to kind of be a referee. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Carly asks, uh, what is your favorite, most cherished memory with Guns N' Roses or just Axel? Uh, two separate ones. The favorite memory would be um, the Freddie Mercury tribute because um, I kind of felt like, wow, they, they've this is it. This is the pinnacle. That, that or, or playing rock and Rio for two shows, right? Mm-hmm where you're standing in front of 225,000 people both nights, and they're the only band to play the two nights, at least in, in those years, um, as a headliner. Uh, the Axel personal one, probably, uh, and I wasn't there, um, hmm. but when my contract was up, um, and I've heard it from the attorney involved and two other witnesses, the band was going to cut my percentages down, and he said, I got a different idea. I'll take the percent that you want to cut him down from each one of you guys and give it to him. Cause he works harder than any of you guys. So, I mean, he was sticking up for me and, Oh wow. But he, yeah. I mean, we had a great relationship. He was my, he was my best friend. And we went through a lot of very heavy stuff together and I love and miss him and always will. So then this will be, I, I'd rather give the the credit to the listeners and instead of me just asking, uh, this is from Eric Bromowitz. Another, oh, Jew, maybe? I know Eric, by the way. I know Eric. Okay. Eric guy. Uh, then what were the circumstances by which you were no longer Guns N' Roses manager? When did that happen? Uh, yeah, it was uh, from 2002 to 2004. I was traveling uh, every Friday night over to Hawaii to be with my kids. And I asked Axel if I could just work from Hawaii because Shep Gordon had done it for years. And he said, no, I need you here. And I said, well, then you tell my three and a half year old that I can't do it. So it was more quitting. I mean, I, oh, I wow. read on the internet where I was fired, and I don't. There was nothing. I was never terminated. Um, I just I I wanted to be a dad, and I've never really looked back and said, "Gee, that was a bad decision." Quite the antithesis. I mean, I love my children, Jake and Eli, and uh, and you know that's to me that's the best job I've ever had in my life, and uh, continues to to be. And so I've never looked backwards. You know, you leave the biggest rock band in the world. So what? I mean, that's incredible. You your kids. I mean, uh, your kids better. I mean, I like to think that if they're your kids, they appreciate that because it's the you to, um, I don't want to say give up your dream job because you made an active decision. Uh, but yeah. yeah, no, that was my impression all these years was that you got fired. So that's why the truth, I mean, that's, Guns N' Roses, right? Like, everybody gets fired except for Axel. Isn't that the whole, you know, aura yeah, of no, the band? Yeah, fired. I mean, he was, he was upset with me uh, during that time period over something that went down, which is pretty interesting. Um, 
he he was upset with me and didn't want to see me. Yet 150 photographers were coming towards his limousine as it was approaching, and I stopped them. And so he didn't want to see me. But that was a very short. He didn't fire me over that. Mm. And uh, no, really, the condition upon where we parted ways was was what I just mentioned. And I just wanted to be a dad. Well, that's that's awesome. You know, uh, there's a lot to. You know, prior to this conversation where some people are hearing you talk for the first time, uh, just between us, I mean, you just have all the makings of just, yeah, Doug is, I don't know, you've you've got, like, things set straight. Like, your priorities is really together, it seems. It's family first, you know, sobriety first. There's things that don't exist in the rock and roll but world. But I think it's important, Brandon, even though I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, to discount the fact that, like, my relationship with my first son, is fantastic. He just got signed. He will not let his father help him at all because he doesn't want to be the kid that rode the Guns N' Roses coattails. But his band Honey, like Winnie the Pooh spells Honey, H-U-N-N-Y, he just signed a deal to uh, Brett Gerwitz's label, Epitaph, with zero help from his dad. Awesome. Uh, so I'm real proud of him. But like we all go through in life, the, the baby boy, Eli, um, he's gone through about a two-year period where he doesn't talk to me. Um because, well, uh, I think he decides with uh, my ex-wife, his mom, mm-hmm. and and uh, and so so it's not like I'm without problems. You know, I don't I don't I don't want anybody to to misconstrue that. I don't well, that's impossible not to have any problems. But it seems like you're yeah, really right. just you're trying to put your best foot forward each time. It, yeah, but but I think it's important for people that listen to this to realize that. It's not like I have this life without problems. We all have problems, and I think it's imperative to know that. I deal with the sadness of not communicating with my baby boy, who I love more than life itself. And so we all have things in our lives that we deal with. And so I, I just I just want people to realize that, you know, it's not a woe is me moment. It's just a, hey, I feel for you as well because I, too, go through stuff, right? Yeah. Absolutely, because um, you know there are certain family members that I don't talk to anymore, and it really bothers me. Things that were I believe are out of my control, and how important yeah. this stuff is. And that's why I think when you know, in a way, when bands reunite, especially with Guns N' Roses in this community, it's like a family got back together again, right? In, yeah. in, in a way, because yeah, we don't. Sometimes we're like they're like you or me that have family problems, and for yeah. some silly reason. Uh, Guns N' Roses is like uh, we look at it as like a family, you know, because people yeah, get I'll so speak, invested. Speak, yeah, I'll speak to that as well, Pendle. I I think that like I've heard Slash make comments that you know that I'm the bad guy who kept him Axel away, and and to address that, you know, the reality is if I had told Axel back in '91 how Slash really felt about him, we'd be home. We'd have been home. So it's not like I was trying to not let them communicate but the antithesis I, I was trying to keep everybody out doing what they wanted to be doing which is playing in front of seventy two thousand people mm. and if you want to fault me for that then i gee i guess i screwed up you know but i think for them to get back in a room and work out their reunion somebody had to be the fall guy and i'm okay being that um i know the truth i know what i did or didn't do for that band um, and, and at the end of the day, I, I, that's all I care about. Right on. Uh, part of that is in these 
when I ask for questions, I love if people just gave me like a ton of questions for each person. Uh, so Jason Bork, uh, we'll get to what does he said. So for you being blamed for things, uh, have you kicked the fuck out of that dude that gave Slash and Duff that contract and left the blame on Doug all these years? I wanted to. I wanted to. I wanted to. That 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 guy, and, uh, former tour manager. He's a. Everybody's afraid of him. He's big, stoic, mean guy who comes off as a badass, and he knows, and I know that he should never cross that line with me. And I had a recent conversation with him within the past year, and I just said, "We will run into each other, and I'm going to take you out." Um, so, but you know, I mean, that being said, I won't, I mean, it it is what it is. You can't put the genie back in the bottle, you know, and what am I going to go to jail for beating up somebody for what they did in 91 or 92, I guess. Yeah. No, no. Uh, that wouldn't make any sense. At least I certainly wouldn't announce it on the show. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. I understand. So another relationship we've heard about being, uh, there being friction, uh, that being between Paul Tobias and and Slash, do you because like, I think people don't realize that how late you were with GNR. It wasn't just the illusions, but yeah. you were there at the beginning of what were Chinese sessions or the, yeah, all, yeah, I was there until '04. Yeah, so, so I was there for Slash's departure and yeah. So how did Paul Tobias come into the band, and then how did he leave? Do you know that? Well, you know, yeah, sure. Gilby um, was only promised by Axel to be on the tour. Um, and so when the tour was over, uh, they started rehearsals and Axel said, Hey, I'm going to bring my friend in Paul just realize, and this, this is a part of great frustration for me. Um, just tell slash and Duff, he's only there until they fight a replacement. That's it. No more. And I told those guys 50 times cause they'd call me, you know, screw Paul. We want, we want him out of here guys. Just, I've told you now, this is the 30th time. Just bring somebody else out in. And they never did. Paul knew that he didn't have a permanent gig. Why did they? Because, uh, I mean, I've reached out to Paul. You know, uh, do, you, do you know why uh, there was friction there? Was he, you know, did he smell? Well, like, what was, he was No, he was, he was Asshole's guy, right? Yeah. I don't think that they, had, they thought that he had the chops, but I, you know, I never got involved in what they did musically because, what, you're going to, repaint the Mona Lisa. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. It just doesn't make sense. And I saw that cause friction when Niven brought lyrics back into the back of the bus for Axel to check out. And that didn't go to, that wasn't real warmly received. Oh, wow. So, okay. So I never really got involved unless I was asked my opinion, which was very seldom. Right? Fair enough. Uh, and I'll give credit to that. that was from my uh, Gareth uh, O'Neill. And he uh, why did you book a tour? Uh, he continues from that Tobias question. Why did you book a tour in early 2000s that wasn't agreed with with Axel? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's just let's just say that um, that it was agreed to, and then the person said that it wasn't. So I was asked publicly to uh, to clear that up in the way that I did. Um, but uh, yeah, Axel knew that that tour, he asked for us to book that tour. Okay. Uh, how come Josh freeze left, uh, before the touring began? Uh, Josh is a working guy. He loves to be out and playing and it was, the process was dragging a little slower. I love Josh. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. Uh, him and, and, and by the way, one, another one of my favorite people on the planet who doesn't get near the credit that he should is Richard Fortas. Yeah. 
I mean, the guy's been with Axel for how long? <laughs> and he's a great human being, just a fantastic guy. Um, love Richard. I mean, I never talked to Richard, but he's in St. Louis, and I was in St. Louis, and, and uh, I'd run into people that knew him, and they're like, I mean, he could run for mayor in St. Louis and win. I mean, he's so loved before <laughs> he goes. All right. Uh, more to continue with the, you know, that mystery era, and I think that's why people like the uh, the interview that we did uh, last episode, you know, talking about like, oh my God, before even Chinese came out. Uh, Dean uh, Dean Reynolds wants to know uh, what can you shine on during the, your your tenure because uh, we did talk about some of the musicians being brought in, like Paul and and, and Josh Freeze. Uh, were you there about uh, with with Brian May with the, during during those recording sessions? No, I wasn't. I wasn't there with Brian. Um, I'd met Brian uh, a number of times. Great guy. What a, I mean, just a wonderful man, really sweet. And, and, but I wasn't there for the recording sessions with him. Okay. Um, yeah. What, uh, what kind of material did you hear at that time? Like, were you, was this the stuff that ended up on Chinese democracy? Was there material yeah, that. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, early stages of the stuff that ended up on Chinese. Okay. But nothing like you heard that didn't end up on there or nothing like that? No, not really. Uh-uh. Okay. Um, cool question here from uh, Johan Batista. I always wonder the real reason why GNR didn't play Woodstock 1994. Woodstock just announced their 50th uh, anniversary um, concert that no one's named yet. He goes, uh, Slash did with Paul Rogers, but not with the band. He's like, I'm guessing due to uh, Duff's pancreas. Uh, Yeah, so before I go into his next question, so... Yeah, I don't don't remember getting asked to play Woodstock, quite honestly. Okay. Um, Yeah, I mean, we had just done two and a half years of touring, and we were just kind of, just breathing again. (laughs) Okay. And a a fan that I I know that you know, I feel like anyone who's on these GNR forums, uh, uh, Alex, uh, where where you go, Alex Mendoza, he sent me a picture. Yeah. And he's like, ask ask him about this. It's like a picture of all these tapes and binders uh, that you that you had to hand over. What? I don't want anything about it. You know what? I'm gonna send you right now. We gotta do this yeah. live. Yeah. Are you? And okay. Are you? Hold on. I'm not trying to do it through my messenger. Fucking Facebook. Yeah. I probably should have <laughs> sent it. I'm gonna text it to you and see yeah, okay. if if you know what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Okay. All okay. right. It's just sent. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I I didn't I was like, is Doug a silent film movie buff? I didn't even know like what it was. And he's like, No, look at the uh the the writings on the on the binder, you know, and it's all this lots of old recordings. That's what it is. And this is I, from I never possessed these. Okay. All right. So, so it just says uh GNR demo reel. So you have no you have no information about uh okay. Oh. No, I never, I never had them. Yeah. All right, all right, fair enough. Well, I asked Alex, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because you have so many questions, I don't want to keep you here forever. Um, Not a problem. Uh, let's go to Anderson. Uh, he wants to know when did uh, recording actually start? Ninety-seven, ninety-eight. Was Robin returning in two thousand? Uh, surprise. Were there any shows discussed before one one one, like Woodstock ninety-nine? Oh boy, you know what? <laughs> I um to all of that the the time frame just kind of uh, 
melds together. I'd have to look back at notes, and I don't really remember when recording started. I, I just remember that, you know, it was a 10-year a process when when uh, when I was when I left, I think. So it would have started really in 94, um, you know, because I kept being – no, I'm sorry. No, no, I uh, take it back. No, more like seven years when I left. So 97 would have been when it started. Um, Robin coming back, I don't think that was a real surprise. I mean, um, I also really liked Robin a lot personally and as a player, um, a lot, a lot. And, you know, he split to go do the Nine Inch Nails stuff. And when he came back, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, again, you mentioned it, you know, everybody gets fired from Guns N' Roses. Um, and then that's it. You know, I was surprised that Axel actually, was okay with Robin coming back. Um, mm. I was happy because I, I like Robin, uh, and I do like his playing. Um, but usually if somebody leaves, it's the same thing. Axel's like, you left, you're not coming back. Right? So, Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, another one, we'll just mess it around uh, here. This is Ken Begora. Uh, did you think it was a good idea to release uh, Use Your Illusion as a set, or did you want to hold one back? Yeah, no, I, I, I've, I've actually... Spoken about this, and I think I told Miss LaFlon this. It's one of the only big arguments that Axel and I ever had. I certainly felt like release one and tour on it, and then a year, year and a half into the tour, release another one for the strength of the tour, right? Um, it, it, it ended up kind of being a moot point as far as ticket sales because every ticket was sold, <laughs> but on the usual losing tour, but um. I kept telling Axel, because Axel, I mean, everybody knows that the guy's just genius mentality. And my response was always, yet again, you're assuming that Johnny Q Public is as bright as you, and people aren't going to be able to disseminate all of the info that you're giving them, right? So there are songs like Double Talk and Jive, uh, Pretty Tied Up, that really never got their due, in my opinion, because there were just too many songs dumped. That's a fair point. At, at, at one point. I mean, you know, the Double Talk and Jive is one of those songs like Her Majesty by the Beatles. You, know, you just wish would go on and on and on. But yeah. It's short, right? um, Slash's lead going into the flamenco is, is I mean, it's, you know, I, 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 fi I find it every time I listen to it, which is often, it just is mesmerizing at how brilliant it is. Um. The guy's just an, an amazing guitar player. Uh, I mean, just am amazing. And I used to watch him live, and I swear to you, it, 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 he didn't know whether he was playing in front of, or he probably knew, but it didn't matter if he was playing in front of one person or 100,000. Um, I used to comment that you couldn't tell where his body stopped and the guitar started. It looked like just everything was married together. Hmm. Um, just such a command of the of the instrument, you know. And still, I mean, I don't know about today, but when I was working with him, he's on top of the game, and he still shuts his phones off and locks his door, and was practicing for three hours a day. You know, rest on his laurels, he continued to practice, which I thought was just awe-inspiring. I think that's what uh, London said in his uh, our interview with him that he's just practicing all the time. He still gets nervous. He's still you know, he's still, wow. he still seems to be the same guy that you remember him as. And no wow. matter no matter the heights that he's gone to, he's still that guy, 
which is uh, yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he still shuts the door and plays for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, another loyal listener, Ken Begora. Um, after, well, to continue on the uh, Use Your Illusion question, uh, after that was released, Axel mentioned a punk covers album, of course, The Spaghetti Incident, and the soundtrack for Terminator 2. Was there ever a Terminator 2 soundtrack or a song other than You Could Be Mine uh, that was intended for the movie? Yeah, no, the, the You Could Be Mine thing was, uh, got a call from Tom Zutat saying, hey, I, I met with Bobby Shriver and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I've convinced him to put Jungle in the video. And, and I said, I don't understand. <laughs> it's four years old. We're, we're releasing Use Your Illusion. Let's put, you know, the first single in that. Um, so that's how that came about. But no, there was never anything other than You you Could Be Mine that was that was in that. Oh, that's still cool that uh, it could have been Welcome to the Jungle. And you rightly said, well, we have a new album coming out. Uh, yeah. Why not play? Uh, I still remember that scene very, very vividly. That would be, <laughs> that would be a get. I want to get Arnold on the show. Because that's that's yeah, right. that's tangible. I'm sure I can that can make that happen. Um, he was a super nice guy. We all went to his house, and he knew that you know that um, I liked Cuban cigars and the Slash likes Jack and the Duff likes Stolies. And I mean, he knew everything. He did his homework before he showed up. <laughs> so, so then talk about that. Then where was this before the movie came out? After when yeah. the song? No, it was before. We all went to his house to talk about. You know, um, putting him in the video, and I got the the production company to pay for the video, um, the film production company. So that video was free for us. Nice. That's um, that's what a good manager does. I try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of which, I don't. I um, Hillbilly Herald. Are you familiar with uh, with Hillbilly or Jimmy Herald? No, uh-uh. Okay, so they're a former guest, and he asks uh, ask him if I manage Hillbilly Herald. Uh, how's that for a question? <laughs> so he's got an awesome story. He right. he's become friends with Slash, and I guess when he was out in L.A. and he's you know he's hustling, he's you know uh, waiting tables and all that. And I think when he was thirty five, he's in his early forties now. Slash is like just just do it, you know, just make your essentially just make your dreams come true, and that's right. what he's been doing since because okay. of Slash. And one of my favorite things, because he's just an awesome dude, is that his mic stand is uh, all Pabst Blue Ribbon uh, cans. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, he just plays it up. Yeah, baby. Yeah, and they've CPR. opened up. Yeah, they've opened up for shows for uh, the conspirators. So, um, right well, if if you decide to go back into the managerial ring, uh, check yeah, right. Well, you know what? Send send it to me anyway. I'd love to listen to it. All right. There you go, Jimmy. That's a hundred percentage if it happens. I do, I do want to say uh, to uh, Eric Bromowitz and to Johan Batista and to Alex Mendoza, uh, I'm very familiar with you guys and uh, and honored that you guys would write in questions. And and thank you for your support and, and uh, of me personally. Because um, I know those guys, you know, and obviously to Vanna, but... Uh, <laughs> But I know art on a I know art on a personal level. So sure, and so do I. And I appreciate including yeah. art, you know, for to submit these questions. You know, that means yeah. people actually uh, have to listen. I had somebody write in. Uh, I don't know if you would even uh, ask my question. Why would I not do that? Unless we, I mean, I, I can't stand here. and no, I'm not going to ask you 50 questions because you're going to come on again. I don't. We're not cutting it short. I think so to speak. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So but let's end uh, here with a, maybe uh, hopefully a fun story. This is from uh, Dirk. 
Uh, ask him about his favorite Zach Wilde story and maybe if he has any uh, heated discussions with uh, Sharon Osbourne. I've never had any heated discussions. I love Sharon. Uh, her and Ozzy used to send me uh, Christmas cards every year. Um, and uh, and my, probably my favorite Zach story is he gave me um, the, uh, the Sweet Jesus, which was on Pride and Glory, um, the music notation um, uh, framed, uh, signed by him uh, as a Christmas gift one year. Um, he's a, he's a wonderful guy and talk about a monster player. Um, it was frustrating because I loved Zach personally. Um, but I was trying to work the pride and glory record, which was Southern rock when Geffen was only interested in selling Nirvana records and Mm. trying to get anybody to pay attention at that time was really difficult. Okay. So it felt like a personal failing to me. And I felt like I, I let Zach down. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I certainly would, uh, oh, I, I do want to make a mention also, if you don't mind, uh, Brando, and sure. I, I apologize for not telling you this, but we just lost somebody in the Guns N' Roses family, uh, who was very near and dear to all of us. Uh, he also managed slash personally, uh, Tom Marr, who okay. just lost a, a battle with cancer, um, mm-hmm. on, uh, on Christmas Eve. Oh, awful. And, uh, yeah, yeah, how was Kind of a tough loss. He uh, worked with me at Big FD and uh, his uh, beautiful wife, Donnell, uh, who they've known since college. Um, I did speak to her, and they have two daughters, 23 and 21. And, and Tom was just uh, just a, a wonderful, wonderful man. So I, I did want to put that out there. No, I appreciate you doing so because uh, it is a Guns N' Roses family, and all the people that you, you mentioned just submitting questions are people that I wouldn't know if it wasn't for this Guns N' Roses-esque podcast. And, you know, I, I you don't want to see anyone go through that. You know, I, yeah. I've i lost he, people he, to he, cancer. He, I mean, it's, it's awful. Yeah, he worked at KNEC, which is how I, I found Tom. Okay. Um, the famous KNEC, right, the rock station. So. All right. And I'll, I'll continue the uh, the good vibes and life's uh, too yeah, short yeah. vibes. Uh, this is from uh, Dan Lutzka. He would uh, like to offer you an apology, Doug for how he reacted towards the box set and the language I used towards him. It was way out of line. So he wants to apologize to you. Because uh, that, 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 that tweet that you uh, sent Fernando, that unfortunately went viral. So uh, I don't know. Maybe was very, There was very sweet apology accepted. Dan, life's too short not to, <laughs> not to accept apologies and to hold on to crap. So, there you so go. It's, great. it's greatly appreciated. Yeah. There, there you go. See, I, this is so cool. I feel like I'm just talking to you like my friend, and this has become, uh, you know, this I is. Love a, my friend, buddy. Well, yes, <laughs> uh, this is, uh, you know, officially in an interview. I mean, I don't always record my my conversations with my friends. I don't think I would have. <laughs> I don't have. A, I wouldn't have too many friends left if that were the case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but of course, there are other questions submitted that came in. Uh, but we'll get to them uh, next time you're on, Doug. Anytime. Any anytime, but you know me. I mean, I'm an open book, man. I love talking to my, my friends, especially Brando. So. <laughs> um, well, anytime, anytime, bud. Well, I appreciate that. Well, we'll see what happens because we've been saying episode uh, 100, but you and I, we just got yeah. too, we just got too eager. We had to do episode 98, so we'll, right. we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I want Doug to play co-host, and and both of us interview someone together uh, because if you haven't uh, noticed it already, Doug certainly has a gift for gab, and 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 knows uh, <laughs> his his knows his way around a conversation. So uh, look forward to hey, what. You know, to, you know who needed to talk to also is Craig Deucewald. 
okay. um, who, is, who has turned his time in the Axel Rose uh, business into an incredibly successful career as a public speaker and author. Oh. So, yeah. So let's... yeah. And Craig's a great guy. Him and I worked together uh, on Air Supply. <laughs> okay. In 82. Yeah. All right. So set it up. We'll do it. I'll do it, bud. Well, hey, and uh, and anybody who's interested in the uh, in the Matthews Hope information, yes, please. If you have if you have anybody who's uh, who's battling with the opioid addiction, um, please, please, please go on www.matthewshope.org. Uh, we are going through some uh, website changes, um, but uh, it is up and running. Uh, it'll just be best improved in the future. And but again, it's www.matthewshope.org. And thank you for that, Brando. Of course, you beat me to it. I was just about to ask because, <laughs> you know, whether it's and it's an important conversation in itself, but it's so sometimes it's just so interesting how we were all looking for, I mean, as some sort of reunion. It's like while they're all still alive, while they're all still, I mean, yeah. they all yeah. are still alive. It, it, could, yeah. it could so they all could have died. So easily, and and I sure I say that from just such a far view where you know that firsthand that all these guys could be, or could very well not be around today. And uh, for no uh, question, opioid we close to losing all of them at, at any given point in time in their careers. Yeah, yeah, and it's just uh, it is scary uh, whether it's opioid addiction or addiction of any type. It's just it's um it's frightening. So it's it's wonderful that you've you've given your life to that. Uh, and you know, it just, it speaks volumes and, in, in, in traveling around. And I, I just hope more, more and more people listen and cause we're doing it to ourselves, you know, we get away the, uh, you know, people who sell you stuff that's laced with something. Yeah. There are all these different reasons why, you know, people may, uh, OD, but it was last year, uh, a friend of mine, Don, who was off for a while, had one bad night with his girlfriend accidentally OD. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it didn't expect it at, at all. He was just, uh, it, it's just very, very frightening. And, you know, he had a rock band. It's very scary. And I know there are a lot of Guns N' Roses fans out there that not only are suffering themselves, but know somebody. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that, that's sure. why it's important. All these fun GNR questions, uh, you know, your opinion or facts, dates, all that stuff is great. But it, it is important here whether you want to say it on appetite for distortion, appetite for emotion, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it is it is important to get out there. So I appreciate you doing what you do, and then uh, you know, Thanks, tell, yeah. tell, you know, sharing uh, your stories with us and in your vision with us. So uh, it's a much appreciated. Thanks, my brother. So um, until next time, dog. You, I can't thank you enough just for your time and and your friendship because this is it's. You too, I, bud. It's so funny because you called me. I always have to tell my girlfriend because I don't like talking on uh, the cell phone in public. I'm just not one of those people, you know. That's like hey, me too. Yeah. Like you called me when we I was out in uh, when we visited Woodstock. We were out at breakfast. I'm like, yeah. hold on. I'm sorry. This is a former Guns N' Roses manager. She's like, I, I understand. Don't worry. You know, one time I, I actually I think it was right before I was about to see uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, we're talking about uh-huh. Brian May. Right. You, you yeah, called me. Exactly. And I was, so you know, your your timing may not always be great, but I always appreciate it. I always answer it. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. then, of course, uh, the fact that you you answer these fans' uh, questions. I know we didn't get to all of them, but we got to a lot. Uh, obviously, you know, we, we spent 98 episodes talking about how this band with communication or lack of a communication or misunderstanding, yeah. you know, so it's really appreciated when people are open books. And, you know, I obviously didn't want to um, 
you know, overwhelm you with anything. So you were a good sport. Not at all. Uh, you were a good sport. Uh, all the listeners who sent in questions, I, I can't thank you enough. Again, whether you found us on uh, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, uh, if, if you have one that's your favorite, just make sure you follow us on all because uh, it just – it makes us look good. It makes us look good. Sure. And uh, same same thing for, for Facebook. Facebook.com slash the AFD show on Twitter at the AFD show. You're still on Twitter, though, right? Is that, is that, uh, is that yeah, okay? Yeah. 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 Uh, what's your, because it's not just Doug Goldstein. I get a, I want to. I, should... yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. Maybe you have Dink or maybe, I don't know. I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll let you know. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now. It's so funny. It's uh, Doug B F Dink. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, Doug yeah. B is in boy, F is in Frank Dink. Uh, if you want yeah. to talk to Doug, and who's obviously extremely fam uh, fam friendly. So <laughs> yeah. So until next time, obviously you know we mentioned uh, Bruce McKagan future episode. Uh, we're gonna talk to uh, Rob from Volbeat uh, future episode. Um, I know we're also gonna talk to uh, Billy Rowe again from Jet Boy future episode. Mm-hmm. So a lot to look forward to. And, of course, more Doug Goldstein uh, on the way in future episodes. All right, Brando. Looking forward to it. So uh, thank you to everyone. Thank you so much, Brando. Thanks, Doug. And uh, until next time, uh, when are you going to see the next episode of the AFD show? Well, in the words of Axel Rhodes concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. security, I'm going home.